Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. <clears throat> 2 Peter 3 is what we'll be looking at today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay because we have paperback Bibles for you underneath chairs. <clears throat> and... Um, passage is on page 591, 591, 2 Peter 3. We're just looking at the very, very end of this letter. Uh, there was a father who <clears throat> spoke to his daughter one evening as she was leaving the house to go on a date with her boyfriend, and the father said, you must be home by 11. And so the daughter left, and went on her date, and as she was spending time with her boyfriend, she was having a really great time and really enjoying her time, and it got closer to 11, and the daughter decided to begin reconsidering exactly what her father had said. You must be home by 11. So first of all, she considered the word you, and what did he really mean by you? Did he mean me specifically, or did he mean humanity in general? Was it kind of a collective you? And he said, you must. But that sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? I mean, would my father who loves me, would he be so rigid as to say, I must do this or I must do that? Uh, He said, we must be home. But really, how do we define home? It is often said that home is where the heart is. And my heart is right here. So technically, I'm home. And I don't need to go home. And he did say you must be home by 11, but he didn't specify a.m. or p.m. or Eastern Standard Time or Central Standard Time. So how can we really know what he meant? It's so unclear. If he were just clearer, I would know what to do. Well, that's kind of a silly story, silly illustration, and yet uh, it's a picture of what actually a lot of people do when they read the Bible. Certain things that are pretty clear and pretty easy to understand, and yet interpretation becomes difficult. Well, we are going through a sermon series here at New Life on our core values, and uh, we're uh, four sermons into this, and uh, the purpose of this sermon series is to just remind us what we're about as a church. Who are we? Uh, What do we believe we're called to do? This is a good exercise from time to time for us to just go back to the basics and remind ourselves of these things. And so our core values are remembered by thinking of the first five letters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. A is adoration, worship. B is belonging, community. C is compassion, mercy ministries, which we looked at last week. Today we are at D, and the D stands for discipleship. We're considering discipleship this morning. We'll also consider discipleship next week as well. Uh, But let me share with you the language that we use here at New Life to describe what we mean by discipleship. And uh, if you're looking to review this, if you go to our website, all this information is there, our vision statement and core value language. Uh, You can find that pretty easily. But here's what we mean by discipleship. Because the gospel calls us to be followers of Jesus Christ, we want to learn intensively about the scriptures and their instructions for how we are to live in today's world within the historic Presbyterian and Reformed tradition that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. 
That's what we mean by discipleship. We are called to develop, to grow, and to mature as followers of Jesus. Pastor Brian gave a sermon on discipleship, I think it was back last summer, I think it was, maybe August. It's kind of a broad introduction to discipleship, and um, Brian, with the Word of God, urged us to be diligent in pursuing discipleship. We don't grow in our faith automatically. We have to actually put effort forth in pursuing that, and um, that sermon was uh, part of our effort to launch our equip groups, which are a main tool we use for discipleship here now, small group meetings, and so we started those last fall. So today, as we consider discipleship, I don't want to repeat what Brian said, we're just going to drill in a little more specific and think in particular about the Scripture's role in our discipleship, and you'll notice the Scriptures are front and center in this language. We want to learn intensively about the Scriptures and their instructions for how we're to live in today's world. Now, as we hear that phrase, the question that arises is how do we understand what Scripture means? It's one thing to say, I believe the Bible. It's another to say, I believe what the Bible says or I understand what the Bible means. And so that gets to this question of interpretation. And just as the daughter in the original story today struggled to understand the directions of her father, so do we often struggle to understand the directions of our Heavenly Father given to us in the Bible. And this is of absolutely essential importance because, if you think about it, our salvation depends on the gospel. It depends on what Jesus Christ has done for us, but everything we know about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us comes to us through the Scriptures. And so if we don't understand the Scriptures, you can't understand the gospel. And if you get the Scriptures wrong, you might get the gospel wrong. And that's a dangerous, serious thing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What steps can we take to understand the Scriptures as best as we can? And we're going to begin by looking at this passage in 2 Peter 3. This is going to be a very topical sermon today. We're just going to get, allow Peter to get us started, but we'll be looking at a number of different passages. Uh, but let's take a look at this passage. If you could stand, please do so at this time, and I'll read these last few verses, and I think you'll notice here the emphasis on spiritual growth that Peter is given to us here. Uh, the very end of the passage tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the phrase at the very end of the paragraph that I just shared with you. But you'll see here there's a connection between growth and understanding the Bible. <clears throat> so Second Peter 3, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in excuse me, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, we ask, Holy Spirit, come, open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Uh, So before we get into this, let's just look here uh, briefly at what Peter is saying. There are a couple of things that are very relevant to uh, our topic uh, today. Uh, First of all, this is Peter. This is the Peter who was the disciple of Jesus, the Peter who denied Jesus three times, as we hear about in the Gospels. And Peter here is referring to um, his beloved brother, Paul. You see that in verse 15. So he's making reference to the apostle Paul. Paul. Now you might know that uh, the Apostle Paul is responsible for writing a good portion of the New Testament. It's Paul who wrote Romans and Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the letters to the Thessalonians. So majority of the New Testament written by Paul. And here's Peter making reference to this man Paul. But notice something very, I think, important here at the very end of verse 16. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So it's like Peter here is referring to Paul's letters as scripture. Now that's very interesting because this is before the New Testament was compiled, but we can see that already Paul's letters have gained um, the same standing of authority as the books of the Old Testament, which are also called scripture. Paul's letters here are called Scripture. But what's more relevant for us this morning is noticing what Peter says about these things that Paul has written. They are hard to understand. (laughs) Now, not everything that Paul has written is hard to understand. It seems like um, what Peter is talking about here is uh, looking forward to Jesus coming again. Um, But these things are hard to understand. If Peter found it hard to understand Paul's letters, I suppose we can't feel too bad if we find it hard to understand some of the things in Paul's letters and in Scripture. But notice also here that even though there are things in Scripture that are hard to understand, that doesn't mean that we have a past to just read the Scriptures however we want. Because what Peter says here is that there are ignorant people unstable people and what they do with the scriptures that are hard to understand is they twist them they corrupt them they they misunderstand them to their own destruction they do it to the other scriptures as well they don't handle the word rightly and what peter suggests here is that we are morally responsible to interpret the bible well as best as we can And so Paul, actually in another part of the New Testament, tells us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now that's written to elders and pastors, but it's still applicable to all of us. We have a responsibility for doing the best we can to interpret the Bible rightly. And so we want to think today about how do we do that. And I'm going to give you some principles today that all come from Scripture. We're going to look to Scripture and let Scripture tell us how to interpret Scripture. And um, I'm going to give you six principles, six today, okay, yeah, double for your money today. Not three points, but six points. Um, But because there's six points, that might seem excessive, and don't worry, I'll I'll keep the points brief. But 
Um, because of that, I've come up with this, uh, uh, an acronym to help you remember these six points. MAPCOG. <laughs> it was the best I could do, okay? <laughs> MAPCOG. I did consider all sorts of possibilities with the letters, and this is the best that I could do. But actually, there's some method to the madness here. We need a map to understand how the Scriptures uh, should be understood. You know, we need direction, right? Uh, but we also need to use our brains, our cognitive abilities, in order to understand the Scripture. So we're looking for a map. We're going to use our brains, map cog, six things to help you in your interpretation of the Scripture. So let's begin. Uh, <clears throat> looking through each of these letters, first of all, the first letter of map cog, and meaning. Meaning. When we look to the scriptures, it's very important that we seek to find the meaning. Now, maybe that seems really obvious, except that there is this tendency among many today to read texts, not looking for the meaning in the text, but seeking to impose their meaning on the text. That's very common in kind of postmodern circles today. The idea is we can't really know what the original author meant, so just get out of it whatever you can. I mean, sometimes you'll see this in art, like songwriters very often when they write their songs, the lyrics are kind of unclear, and you might read the lyrics and you wonder, what is this song about? And it just seems to make no sense. And sometimes when you ask a songwriter, what was that song about? Very often the songwriter will say, I don't want to tell you what it's about because I want you to get out of it whatever you want. That song means to you whatever you want it to mean. And so I'm not going to tell you what I had in mind. And so that's totally appropriate for art, not appropriate for the Bible. <laughs> the Bible is not written that way. The Bible is not there for you to just look to see what you can get out of it based on your own preferences and desires and emotional needs at the time. Every book of the Bible was written by a specific person, an author who had a very specific purpose, who was writing to a very specific group of people. In the Old Testament, letters written to Israel. In the New Testament, they're written to different churches, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossus. All these churches had different matters, different issues going on. In the Old Testament, letters are written sometimes to Israel in the Promised Land, sometimes to Israel in exile, different situations. The New Testament letters are written with different questions in mind. Sometimes it's uh, the question of false teaching in the church. Sometimes there's a question about how to behave in the household of God. How should we do things in the church? And we need to think carefully about all of these things and take them all to, into consideration so that we can find the meaning in the text, not the meaning we want to give to the text. And so uh, here's what it says <clears throat> again in 2 Peter. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So a key passage for how we understand Scripture. There's kind of dual authorship to Scripture, we could say. Men wrote the letters in the Bible, and the books in the Bible, but they wrote as God carried them along. God is the primary author, the men who wrote the scriptures are the secondary authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But God had an intent, and the men had an intent, and 
part of our task is understanding what that is so we can find what the text means. The Bible does not mean to you whatever you want it to mean. And it's something that we can very often say, you know, I, I just hear it very often. I've said it myself. Looking at a text of Scripture, what this means to me is, <laughs> you know, what it means to you is largely irrelevant if it's not what it meant to God. <laughs> We're seeking what God intended. John Calvin says this, it is the first business of an interpreter to let the author say what he does say instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. Now, there is a difference between the meaning in the text and the way we apply it. That's, that's true, and a distinction needs to be made there. The Bible says do not steal. There's not really a lot of debate about what that means, but there are different ways that can be applied because there's different ways you can steal. So the application can vary, but the meaning is there for us to discover and find. It's not alterable. It doesn't change over time. But that takes us to the next point, A in MAPCOG, which is apply. Apply. Seek the meaning, but also seek to apply the text. Every time you read the Bible, you should ask yourself, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my church? Or in other words, how, how should I now change my living based on what I have read in this passage? The scriptures are not just this kind of, just kind of a, you know, a, something subject to an, a, like objective analysis. It's not like something you're looking at in a laboratory. It's, it's not just something to be investigated out of your own intellectual curiosity. This is the Word of God speaking to you, and you need to always be prepared to put into action what the Scripture says. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, this was the great sermon that Peter, again, delivered at Pentecost. And here's Peter talking to the Jews, and he preaches this sermon, Acts chapter 2. He says, quotes Joel chapter 2, and he says Jesus was crucified by lawless men, and he says God raised him up because death could not hold him down, and he says as a result of that, God made him Christ and made him Lord, so Peter delivers this wonderful, powerful sermon, and at the end of the sermon in Acts 2.37, here's what they say. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? That should always be your question after you've heard the Scriptures preached or after you've read the Scriptures privately. What shall I do? How does this apply to me? What do I have to adjust? Is there a sin that I need to confess? Is there a promise I need to believe? Is there an opinion I need to change? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there encouragement that I need to receive? Is there a Savior there I need to trust? You need to always apply the word to your personal life. See, that's what the daughter in the opening story had trouble doing. You know, she probably left the house fully intending to be home by 11, as her father told her, but as she got closer to that time, her heart started resisting what the clear direction said, and the resistance of her heart started interfering with her mind's ability to comprehend, because she did not want to apply what her father had said. This is how we can get into all sorts of trouble in understanding Scripture. We don't often want to do what it says. It's not always hard to know what it means. It's just we don't like what it says. And so a guy named Mark Thompson 
says this, one of those things we bring to the reading of the biblical text is our own rebellious struggle against the sovereign right of God to, ter- to determine what is true and what is right. Come to the text, willing to apply it. The third thing in MapCog is P, and that is pray. Pray. Understanding the Bible is not just a cognitive exercise. It's not just an intellectual task. There's a spiritual component to understanding the Bible as well, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The natural person looks at the things that the Bible says, and it looks like foolishness to him or to her. That person cannot understand. There's a sense in which when we understand the Bible or interpret the Bible that we should interpret it just like we would any other book. That is, we look and see what the words mean and we look at the punctuation and we look at the grammar and we look at the time and the culture. Same ways you would interpret any other book. There's a sense in which we understand the Bible in the same way, but then there's this additional sense in which you need the Holy Spirit living in you in order to really get what the Scripture says. In other words, you need to be a Christian to understand the Bible. If you're not a Christian, you, you can't really get it. You, you, just, you just don't get it. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. I remember there was this young lady who attended this church years ago. She's moved away, and she was telling me that before I was a Christian, she said, I'd read the Bible. It just seemed like a blur to me. She said it seemed unintelligible. And then she became a Christian. She came to believe in Jesus, and one of the first things she thought of was to go home and read her Bible, and so she did, and she opened up the Bible, and she said it was like reading it for the first time. Just all of a sudden, all these things that were a blur became clear and understandable. That's because the Holy Spirit was at work in her. So, by pray, what I mean is that before you read the Scriptures, you should always ask for the Holy Spirit to give light to your eyes. That's the way I begin every sermon here at New Life, and you heard me pray it just a moment ago from Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Whenever you sit down before the Scriptures, pray. Don't read the Scriptures without praying. If you do, that means you're probably thinking this is merely an intellectual exercise, and you're neglecting the spiritual component of the reading you're about to engage in. Tell God, give me eyes to see, Lord. Let me understand. Show me the truth. Scripture says, ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be opened to you. So if you have trouble understanding the Bible, ask God and he will give you understanding. So the fourth point, C, context. Context. Very, very important in understanding the Scriptures. There's a phrase that's often used when we talk about interpreting the Bible. Context is king. Context is king. One of the most important things to consider. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean by context? What I mean very simply is the words immediately preceding the verse you're looking at and the words immediately following the verse that you're looking at. That's the context. People make mistakes over and over again because they take a scripture, one little verse, and they pull it out of context and isolate it and separate it and draw all sorts of conclusions about it without considering what has come before and what has come 
after. And so this is something that we need to be very careful about. We don't take text out of context. So here's um, uh, an example. Matthew 7, 1, one of uh, the favorite verses of not just Christians, but of our culture more broadly as well. <laughs> here's, a, here's a scripture verse that everybody knows. Um, Judge not that you may not be judged. And so people conclude from that, you see, you, you can't make any judgment on anybody for anything that they do. You can't make a moral judgment. You can't say that someone is wrong in what they're doing because if you do, you're judgmental, and being judgmental is bad. You're intolerant. So nobody can say that anything that, anything that anybody else is doing is wrong. But the problem with that is that it is taken out of context. Because if we look at the rest of this passage, here's what Jesus says. I'm not going to quote all five verses, but it, at the end, he concludes by saying this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you got a log in your eye. You know, think of the difference between a log and a speck. A log is a lot bigger than a speck, Right? And so what Jesus is saying is take the log, the bigger issue, the bigger sin, the bigger problem in your life, get that out of your eye, that is repent of that, deal with that. And then once you've dealt with that, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, to make a judgment that you can go to your brother and say, you've got something you need to deal with here. But don't do that before you deal with your own issue. That's, that's the point that Jesus is making. He's not saying you should never make a moral judgment. He's saying deal with your sin first. You know, it would be like somebody who has a $10 million home and a couple of private jets and 1,500 pairs of shoes, and he comes lecturing you about how you spend your money. You might say to him, listen, you deal with your spending problems first, and then you can talk to me about my spending problems. But as long as you're spending money like that, I'm not, I'm not hearing, I'm not listening. So deal with your issue first, and then you're in a position to make moral judgments. This isn't an excuse to go out looking for fights and looking for people to judge, just making the point that Matthew 7, 1 is very, very often taken out of context. Another quick example of that is um, 1 Corinthians 13 which is a very popular chapter in the Bible that's often used in weddings, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. And we hear it in weddings all the time. And um, actually, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you'll notice that it comes after 1 Corinthians 12, and it comes before 1 Corinthians 14. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are all about spiritual gifts in the church. And squeezed in between that is 1 Corinthians 13. The context there says that the love that Paul is talking about in that chapter is really primarily about how we use our gifts and how we relate to one another in the church. It's not really about weddings. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to use it in the wedding. I mean, I've done plenty of weddings where that passage has been quoted. It's, it's appropriate, but that's a secondary application given the context of 1 Corinthians 13 between 12 and 14. So consider the context. Very, very important. The fifth thing, others, MAPCOG, A-M-P-C-O, others. What do I mean by others? I just mean that you should always seek to interpret the Scriptures in community, not on your own, not as 
uh, an isolated individual, not by just sitting at home, Googling on the internet, looking for information about whatever theological question that you might have. Interpret in view of others, not by yourself. We all have what's called confirmation bias. Have you heard that phrase? It just means that we tend to look for the things that we want to find. We tend to ignore the things that we don't really like. Confirmation bias, we seek to confirm the biases that we already have. And if you interpret the Bible on your own as an isolated individual, you will very likely be driven by that and you will find yourselves in error. So we can think of others in the present, that is, interpret the Scriptures in view of the input that others in your life right now have. You should listen to your elders and pastors. <laughs> you should listen to your brothers and sisters in the church. When you're at a quip group or in your life group and your brothers and sisters there have ways of looking at the Scriptures, you should listen to them and learn from them. You should listen to the respected church leaders and theologians of our day, and always be ready to be corrected. In other words, here's another important part of interpreting the Bible rightly, humility. You know, you could be wrong. <laughs> That's possible, you know. <laughs> Are you open to that possibility? You could be wrong. Here's an example of this in uh, Acts chapter 18, um, the story of Apollos. And Apollos is described as being competent in the Scriptures, and he's a, a teacher, and he's having great effect, and it even says in the text that he taught accurately about Jesus. So he had a pretty good grasp of the gospel and who Jesus is, but it says here that Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and then two other people in the church, Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Like they, came, they heard something, we don't know what he heard. Maybe he said something that was just way off or maybe there's some certain things he was leaving out. I mean, we don't know what it was. But even though he was competent in the scripture, he needed correction. And Priscilla and Aquila took him aside. They had the boldness to step aside and say, look, you, know, you, you said this, but here's something you need to consider. And then the text goes on to say, seems to imply that Apollos took that correction and continued to preach to great effectiveness there in Acts chapter 18. So be willing to be corrected by others, particularly in the church present, but also be willing to consider those who have spoken to you from the past. We have an embarrassment of riches living in this particular time in history, 2022, 20 centuries of writings and theological reflection by great men like Augustine and Calvin and Luther and the Puritans and great women as well who have reflected on the scriptures and have written books and they are there for our benefit. Creeds and confessions written throughout the history of the church that have stood the test of time. A multitude of books that exist out there for you to read. They're easy to find. If you complain that you have trouble understanding the word, I just want to ask, do you read, do you study, do you seek to understand what the scriptures say? There was a Pew Research survey that came out in 2018 that found in 2017 that only one in four adults had read any part of any book. 25% of adults, not, it's not that they didn't finish a book, they never even picked up a book. One in four people. 
Now, I understand that not everybody has the same appetite for reading as others, and I understand that some are in a season of life, raising children, for instance, where it's really hard to find time to read a book. I, I get that, but I just want to tell you this. If you read more, you'll understand the Bible better. Read more, you'll understand it better. We have um, <clears throat> a number of books recommended at our website, by the way, so if you're looking for a place to start, maybe you don't know where to begin, go to our website. There's a teaching tab. Click on that. It'll come down to recommended books, and we have quite a lengthy list of recommended books by category, and uh, that would be a good place for you to start with, I think, links directly to Amazon, so we're making it as easy for you as we can. And uh, this is how our equip groups are designed also, to sit down with other believers and read these books, mostly in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, because that's where we come from, but we read these books and allow them to help us in community to understand the Bible better. Very important for understanding the Scriptures. The last thing, the last thing is the Gospel. The most important thing for you, friends, when you read the Bible is not so much to find out what you do for God, but what God has done for you. That's the first thing you want to look at. What has God done for you? What does the Bible tell you about all that He has done in planning and providing for you a Savior and accomplishing your salvation and showing you His grace and His love through a Savior called Jesus? That is what the Bible is about, friends. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. It's about a lot of other things, a lot of other implications. There's a lot of other things to consider, but primarily at its root, it's about a Savior. And this is even what Jesus himself says. He's talking to the Jews. He says, you search the Scriptures, referring to the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. <laughs> All the Old Testament bears witness about Jesus. And of course, the New Testament does as well. I love how Alistair Begg says it. In the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected. It's all about Jesus. And that little run that I just gave you there is a great lens through which to view all of your reading of Scripture. Ultimately, the Bible is not, as I have told you many times, it's not directions for you as to what you can do to earn your salvation. It is an explanation of what God has done to earn your salvation for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, friends, yes, it's true. Some things in the Scriptures are hard to understand. And even using these principles, there are still going to be some things that are hard to understand to understand. And I haven't even given you everything that could be said. That's just six. There's many other rules, guidances that we could consider. There are parts of the Scriptures that are hard to understand, but friends, there is just one thing that is so clear in the Scriptures. There's one thing you can't misunderstand. There's one thing that is more obvious than any other, and it's the gospel. The simple gospel, which tells you that you have been created by a God, and you are here to live for Him but you also have a sin problem. You have rebelled against Him and rejected Him in your life. And you are hopeless apart from Him. But that God in His love and His mercy has acted. He's done something about that. He sent a Savior. He sent Jesus into the world, and that Savior lived a perfect life, 
died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins, is risen from the dead, and he calls you to believe that. That is not hard to understand. That is clear for anybody to see. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Don't say the Bible's too hard, I can't get it, I don't know, I can't believe in Jesus because I don't understand the dietary laws. Don't say that. The Bible is clear. You're a sinner and you need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. So believe in Him and enjoy the abundant life that He promises. God, thank You so much for revealing Yourself to us. Uh, Thank You, Lord, for not remaining hidden. Thank You, Father, for guiding writers to write Your Word and by Your Spirit preserving that Word over the centuries so that now we can read Your Word and hear Your voice. What a wonderful blessing that is. Thank you for making the gospel clear, and help us now, Lord, to be diligent, studious interpreters of your word, not twisting them, but doing everything we can to receive rightly what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.